happiest period of, of my life. Um, besides having my own son who's in the army, we have uh, approximately 200 chayalim that are connected to Levater in the army. Between the active soldiers, which there are over 30 of them, and the Rebbeim, which were there are five of them, and Kolel, which about eight or nine of them, and, um, and, and dozens and dozens of alumni, plus children of Rebbeim that are in the army. It's a very, very, very heavy time and a very difficult time for Am Yisrael. At the same time, it's very insp- inspirational. Welcome back, everybody, to the Be'ian Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rav Boaz Mori, the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshivat Leif Torah. Now, I never met Rav Boaz before today and heard a lot of amazing things about him. And I've also seen what he's done um, in front of my own eyes with building up Yeshivat Leif Torah and building up the community of Ramat Shiloh around the area. We touched on so many amazing topics over the course of about an hour, and I'm super excited for you guys to hear our conversation. So without further ado, it's time to jump right into my conversation with Rabboaz Boaz Mori. Welcome to the Israel Gap Year Be'in Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Proctor, and in each episode, we get Be'in in-depth into the remarkable lives of individuals in Israel who dedicate themselves to inspiring the next generation of Kali Israel. Um, welcome, Rav Boaz. Um, I, I like to start off every single episode with just a little bit of Hakar Satov. Um, I, I know running a yeshiva having a family and doing all the things that you do, you're a very busy person by nature and Baruch Hashem, we're able to find time today to, uh, to sit down in the morning and have this conversation. So just really a, a big thank you, Nasha Koch, for, uh, for joining me right now. Thank you and thank you for opening up your home. Amazing. So there's a lot on this piece of paper that I, I want to touch on over the next hour or so. Um, but really the, the, the main thing that I at least want to know is how did we get here right now? I, I, I see you after being in Chanuk for so many different years and I, I've seen different shirim that you've given. Um, I've spoken with different Rabbanim that you've interacted with over the years and you have a very incredible story of how you got to who you are today. So just if you could give me a little bit of an idea of where you grew up and, and essentially how you got to, to here today. Okay, wow, long story. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was born in, uh, and bred in Bayside, Queens, New York. I did not grow up in a from family, but a very uh, connected family. My mother, Alea Shalom, was a, a, a really, truly religious person, not necessarily the most observant. She did not grow up in an observant home, um, but she made sure that we all had yeshiva education. She was very inspired and wanted us to be inspired, to be connected to Torah, to the, uh, to the inspiration of Torah, and to inspire, to inspire other people. Uh, we were very much raised um, with a very uh, um, values-based education. Uh, my mother believed in us and all of us and the uh, in every single person, Jew, non-Jew. She was uh, very non-judgmental, and she told us that anything we wanted to do in life, we could do, and we actually believed her. So, uh, so through uh, grade school, North Shore Hebrew Academy, I went to Hank for high school. My year in Israel um, was in BMT, and I was very, very inspired. Uh, that was in 86-87. Uh, now Shraga, right? Not Shraga. Now it's Shraga. Now it's Shraga, The right. same campus, yeah. And BMT was, a, was an awakening for me. Um, I always, I was, I, you know, I, I became from in high school, sort of self from. I, uh, I, I kept Shabbos. Uh, I was learning on my own. Um, it was, uh, I had wonderful Rebbeim who really inspired me. Um, but then the year in Israel is what really sealed, sealed the deal, as they say, you know, for me. Uh, it, was a, it was an amazing thing. It was the first time in my life I ever had Davin Mariv. It was, uh, and it's funny because I, I went through the school system. I was a Hebrew valedictorian at Hank without ever having Davin Mariv. So it was like a very interesting, interesting thing. I came to Israel and I was very inspired. And I just soaked it all up. I had wanted to stay at Shana Bet, but my parents, you know, Shana Alf was already a stretch. 
uh, went to YU, and then I decided I was going to go into Chinuch. Um, I, I spent many summers at Kent Mushava, and there I had a passion for informal education, and my time in yeshiva gave me a passion for the formal education. So together, um, already in my mind, that's, that's where, uh, where Leiba Torah was created. Um, I, I had this discovery, this like epiphany, a number of years ago. I was working at the time in Camp Ennismore as the rabbi of the camp. Camp Ennismore is Moshevai in Canada. <laughs> and uh, and it, was, it was amazing. They were celebrating 60 years at uh, Camp Mosheva there. And at the same time in I.O., which is Mosheva for the more New Yorkers, so they were celebrating 50 years of I.O. And I had worked for many years at I.O. And I said, oh my gosh, it was my 50th birthday that summer. And I said, my gosh, the two places that probably influenced me the most in terms of creating Leib Torah were BMT and Mosheva. So Mosheva was celebrating 50 years. I was celebrating 50 years. And, and, uh, and BMT also was started, it was the first American program, started in the summer of 69. And I was born in the summer of 69. So all of these came together. So it was like, wow, uh, the, the year that I was born was the year that BMT and Mosheva were born. And these were two tremendous influences on me, on, on my educational approach um, and my Hashkafic, uh, my Hashkafic internal um, uh, calibration. So it was very, very, very much those two institutions that really were amazing. And the truth is that I, I worked at BMT. I, I came back and I was gross for three years. I, I, I think I was the first person ever to get a YU smicha without ever being in, in YU for smicha. Um, I was in YU for undergrad. And, uh, and I was in Madrid for three years, and then I got offered, Rav Miller, Rav David Miller, who's my Rebbe, offered me to be a Rebbe at BMT. Now this was like my goal in life, my dream in life. You know, you all know, like, you, the, the yeshiva that you went to, that's like, wow. So you could be a Rebbe in the same place, that was my goal. So I said to him, Rebbe, you know, you're my Rebbe, what should I do? At the time he was the Rosh Yeshiva of BMT, and the Rosh Kol Elkros. So he said, if you're asking me, I don't think you should take it. <laughs> so I said, I said, why? So he said, I think you should learn a few more years. Um, but uh, so I said, okay, so that's what I did. So I learned for a year in the Meretz Kolel in Mivaseret, the Israeli Kolel there, and then two years at Gush. And then afterwards, I took the job at BMT and I became Rebbe at BMT and I was there for four years. Um, that was my goal. I, I was the, uh, the Abbaid there. I was a, a night Rebbe. Then I became a morning Rebbe. I was in charge of all the programming. And, uh, and I saw slowly that BMT was uh, getting less and less students and it was going to close. So after, Rob Miller was already not the Rosh Yeshiva anymore. And so I spoke to Rob Miller and I, and I had this idea of creating a new Yeshiva. And a lot of it was similar to the rudiments, you know, the building blocks of BMT and some different. Uh, from my experiences in uh, Shalavim, I was there for a year as well, in Gush, in the Vassar at BMT, I, I tried to put together the best elements of all places and create, create an institution which was focused on the Talmud, on his personal growth, an institution that would instill them with a love for, for Kla Yisrael and a dedication, commitment to Kla Yisrael and to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, one that Talmud Torah would be the center of everything and that, that living Torah-centric life was, was central to, to Jewish life, um, but imbued with the, 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 the most complete fulfillment of Torah. And that is one where, where a commitment to Kala Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael is, is one that's in the forefront. So, so, um, so that's how the idea of Leib Torah was born. Um, and the year that we opened up, which is 2002, was the first year that 
BMT didn't open up. So in a certain extent, we are, to a certain, you know, we were a continuation of, of BMT in, in that way. So on the topic of, uh, of starting Levator and, and when you guys began in 2002, um, the idea of, of called an American Hesder type yeshiva of what you guys have been able to, to, to turn yourselves into was was not something that I guess was was so common before I guess Leo Torah came to be. Um, and I know there was a lot that went into making the actual yeshiva. So so take me through that process a little bit of of what was that like? Like when you started the yeshiva, I, I remember I saw a video online um, with one of your uh, your fellow Rabbanim, I forgot who the name was, and he was saying in the process of when you were building the yeshiva that you didn't have a building, you didn't have a dormitory, and you're like, you know what, we're just gonna start this. So take me take me a little through that process and, and I'm very curious to hear what okay, you Okay, so the idea was the idea was was never in the beginning to become a Yeshivat Hezder. It was never that. Of course, the hashkaf of what a yeshivat has to represents. So that was something that was always true from Levator from day one. But it wasn't ripe back then. Like we're in a totally different stage of, of history right now than we were 20 years ago, 22 years ago when we started. Um, back then, we wanted to make a, an inspiring American program. You know, we opened up in Ramat Beit Shemesh, where all the rabbim were living. We wanted the model that all the rabbim would live right next to the yeshiva. And it was a great model. It worked successfully, amazingly. Um, we had every year one or two guys doing the army in the early years of Leva Torah. But it wasn't something that was, was pushed. It wasn't a program that was created that would, would help them through the process. Not at all. Not at all. Rav Dudi Winkler, he joined the yeshiva. You know, he runs Leva Lechayel today. He joined, I think, year three or year four. And he was a part-time rebbe in the very beginning. Only after he came back from Shlichut to Australia for three years did he come back and did we start Leiv Lechal, and that was 10 years ago. We're celebrating 10 years now. So we had more and more guys um, that were doing the army, and that was a, you know, an ideological uh, you know, move on their part, that they wanted to be living in Eretz Yisrael. It wasn't the Rambo approach. It wasn't like, we want to serve in the army, give me our gun. No. It was, it was an approach that we, we felt a responsibility to, to be part of Klal Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael. So that's what people would do. They would come to Eretz Yisrael, they would come to the learning yeshiva, and a number of them every year would stay. Um, when we saw that there were more and more guys coming, um, staying, excuse me, to, in, in Eretz Yisrael and doing the army, we said, you know, let's make a program for them. Because honestly, um, the army is not a very easy place to maintain your level of religiosity. And the guys would be going into regular units, and it was hard. It was difficult. And many of them, you saw the effect that the army had on their religiosity. So we said, we'll build a program. We'll build um, a program where the guys would come home for Shabbos to the yeshiva. We would be with them every step of the way. And, uh, and, and they would be successful in their, in their Judaism, uh, even while serving the Jewish people in the army. Um, that also was tricky, because the beginning years of Lev Lechayal, it wasn't a huge Shibit Hezder. Uh, you can't just become, snap your fingers and become a Shibit Hezder. So, so we were almost more like a machina, and guys would go either to the regular units or they would go to the Nachal Haredi, Netzach Yehuda. And in the regular units, it was culturally not so great because guys there, you know, they were cursing, they were smoking, they were this. It wasn't, wasn't exactly the best environment. And in Nachal Haredi, it wasn't also the best environment because guys there were cursing and smoking. And it, was, it, was, it, was very, it was a very similar experience, <laughs> except the guys were coming uh, you know, from more, more religious homes. But our guys were the from guys in the units. At the time, in Nachal, Netzach Yudah wasn't as advanced as it is today. Um, so we applied to become Yeshiva Hezder. And after two years, Rav Drukman, we went to him. He came to us. Rav Drukman, love shalom. He approved us uh, to, to be Yeshiva Hezder, the first uh, American Yeshiva Hezder. 
um, as part of the Igud Yeshivot Hezder. Um, there's an Igud with over, over 70 Yeshivot Hezder that we're a part of. Um, and it was really a game changer. Uh, the guys, not only did they maintain their religiosity, but you saw them even improving and growing and becoming much more Israeli and learning all the Israeli songs. <laughs> Our Kabbalat Shabbat is totally different now than it ever was before because they're bringing in like the Israeli Shabbat has the Ruach. And they're, and they're singing the songs that the, that the boys sing in the, uh, in the army in their yeshivot. So the whole cultural change and shift was amazing. So we became yeshivot hezder. It was already six or seven years that we were yeshivot hezder. And, and, and it's amazing. Um, I even say that we're the most represented yeshivot hezder in Sahal. Why do I say that? I mean, they're bigger yeshivot hezder than Leva Torah. We have 30 guys each year doing the army. And you can't put 30 guys in one unit you know, 30 lone soldiers, it would be a comedy of errors. It would be wonderful to see. It would be great for a movie, but not, not for reality. So they split them up. Three to four guys go to every unit. So we have guys in Sanchanim, and Golani, and Givati, and Nachal. We have in Netzach Yudan, not Netzach Yudan, in Kfir, in, um, in Shurion, in Hadassah Kravi, all the different units. So wherever I go, any yeshiva I go to, oh, we know guys from Leib We know guys from Leib So it was a real game changer becoming recognized as yeshiva is there. But this was not the intention all along. Um, people ask me, you know, when you first started, is this what you, you know, what, what you had in mind? So I said, no, because <laughs> it's the the levator is not is not just the uh, the the result of, of my thoughts and, and and my moves. We have a whole staff of over thirty rebbeim who all together, each one invested themselves in the institution. So I think that's what levator has become. It's become the the result of all these rebbeim together. So. On the idea of, I, I, you mentioned before, uh, you know, one of the unique things about Leo Torah when you originally had the idea was, let's make yeshiva with the different rebbeim within the community around the yeshiva. Um, and I'm very curious to hear how the whole community of Ramat Shiloh fit in with the idea of Leo Torah. And take me a little through that process a little bit more and kind of what's become today. Okay, so my, my experience at BMT, when I was a, a Talmud and then a Madrid and then a Rebbe, I, I lived on campus, and the Rebbeim that lived on campus had a much stronger connection to the students than any other Rebbe. Because they were there for Shabbases, every Marev, every Shacharis, every Mincha, you're there all the time. So we had at the time, whether it was Rabbi Rhine, whether it was uh, Rav Shammai Warman, myself, other Rebbeim, there were certain guys from Kolel, uh, Rav Enji Kualwasser, who ultimately you know, worked with me to open the yeshiva. So he was in the kolel in Gruss, and he's part-time rebbeim. So everybody that was a rebbe that lived on campus was, just made a, a, such a, a bigger impact on the students. And of course, Gadol Kulam, Rav Benny Eisner, who lived on Lava Shalom, who was a personal rebbe to me, very, very dear and, and close rebbe, who I learned so much from. And so his love for the Talmudim was, was parallel to none. And so we said, we're going to duplicate that model. In fact, we're not going to duplicate it. We're going to build on it. Not have just some of the Rebbeim live on campus. Have all of the Rebbeim live right next to the yeshiva. So where were we going to do it? So the popular place back then that everyone was buying homes was Ramat Bechemesh. Everybody's buying in Ramat Bechemesh. It's a new affordable place. So we said, okay, we'll build it in Ramat Bechemesh. And, and I will say this, I have tremendous Akar Satov to Reishit. Reishi, because Reishi opened up in Beit Shemesh. Back then, it was like everyone was looking at Reishi. Are they going to be able to make that switch from Yushalayim to Beit Shemesh? And they did so with grace, amazingly. Of course, you know, having a, a building that looks like the base of Mikdash, you know, definitely helped, helped their, uh, their cause. 
that's the Moroccans in Beit Shemesh <laughs> called Reishi, like the, the Beit Hamikdash of, 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 uh, of Beit Shemesh. But uh, but it was it was an amazing move that the uh, that the, the rabbis Marcus you know did, and and it opened up Ramat Beit Shemesh as a possibility for people to come for the year. So I tremendous have tremendous akaras stuff to them, and. Um, and opening up in Ramat Pichim, which was amazing, because you had not just the Rebbeim, but all these incredible families who were not in Chinuch, who could be tapped for, for a Chug on Sunday nights, or for Shabbos invitations, or Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah meals. You know, it was an amazing, amazing uh, thing to open up in Ramat Pichim. Okay, that was the beginning. We opened up in, in a basement of a shul on uh, Nachaluz um, in Ramat Pichim. And within, you know, we start off with 18 guys. The next year we had 32 guys. The next year 36 and 40. It, w- it was clear that we outgrew the space very, very quickly. So we're looking for a solution, a long-term solution. So I hired um, a man named Ephraim Naaman, who today is the, uh, the Menahel of the yeshiva, the administrator of the yeshiva. And I said, you know, find us a place where we can build a community with the yeshiva in the center. So he went and he looked at, you know, I like to say it's not true. I like to say he looked at 32 places and laid. The 32nd place was, was the place that he found. It was around then. Um, and uh, he found this barren hill, uh, which on one side of the hill was the Merkaz, where all the shopping center with all the shopping and everything. The other side was a community which at the time was mostly non-religious. It was the last non-religious outpost in Ramat Pechemesh. They had one school that they would send their kids to. If you remember, I don't even know if you, know, you, you remember, uh, that school doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, and since then, most of the non-religious people from the community have already left, and it's more Masorti and some religious. Um, so we said, went to the mayor at the time, Dani Vakni, and we said, listen, we want to build a community. And we see that this land is available and has not been yet developed. So he was very concerned. He was not a big Haredi lover, if I may say. You know? and, uh, and he was worried that the Merkaz, which was more Haredi in Hashkafa, would overflow into that community. And then ultimately the people in the older community would be threatened and, and want to leave. So I said, perfect, we're going to be the bridge. We are Dati Lumi. We bridge between the Dati and the Lumi. We bridge between the people who are, who are nationalistic uh, but not necessarily religious, and the people who are religious and not necessarily nationalistic will be the bridge. And he went for it, and we built, and that's how Ramachila was born. So we, we turned to all the Kablanim that won the different auctions, land auctions, and we said, we're going to build a community, we're going to do something called cooperation. You know, it's cooperation and competition together. So we're going to build a community, we're going to market all of your products, all of your, all of your you know, pl- places. So even though you'll, you'll think, how can I market your, um, your, uh, your building and market your competitor's building at the same time? No, no, we're going to do it because we're really all building one community together. And a number of the Kablanim, they, uh, they agreed. We marketed the community, and that's how Ramachila was born. The first people that bought were myself and Rabbi Fass. Rabbi Fass, the head of Nefesh Benefesh, so he's a dear friend and a neighbor and also a Rebbe Yeshivat Levatara. So, uh, so we bought the first two homes, and then after, afterwards, like 10 Rebbeim bought, and, and many other people who are Ashkafkli mind liked, um, like minded, uh, <laughs> bought, bought as well. So that's how Ramachila was born. During the whole process of, of from start to finish, of just reaching out to different people that were the developers and, and so on and so forth, did you have any, whether it's interesting stories of whether, whether it was like a crazy thing that happened that you're like, okay, we can't do this, or were you always so optimistic? Like, did you ever have kind of bumps in the road? Those who know me know that I am uh, optimistic to a flaw. Um, so I never had a doubt for a moment 
never for a moment. There were others that had doubts. Um, others had doubts that the yeshiva building would be ready in time for our move. And we, we, uh, you know, I buckled to their pressure and we rented the yeshiva space that we were at for another year for fear maybe we wouldn't be able to get into that building right away. But I never had any doubts. Um, the idea was too good to be true. Um, we had this, so we were granted the land uh, for the yeshiva, which is five and a half dunam of land, uh, which is a, a wonderful space to build a campus. And on the land, we built shuls. Well, we didn't build them, but we had shuls allocated for the community as well. So it was a really perfect setup. Um, the model worked, and people were very excited. And people were looking to expand their homes. A lot of people who bought were young couples in Ramat Beit Shemesh, and already five, six years into it, they were looking to expand their homes, build bigger homes, and they were offering in Ramat Shiloh uh, beautiful homes. By the way, Ramat Shiloh, I don't know if you know, but Shiloh stands for Shchunat Yeshivat Leva Torah. That's, that's why it was called Ramat Shiloh. We wanted to brand it as a, as a place uh, which would be the yeshiva community. So we called it Shchunat Yeshivat Leva Torah. And, uh, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, there were, in the very, very, very beginning of the marketing, you know, it takes time till something takes off, so we offered uh, the Rebbeim uh, a discount in buying the homes. This was settled together with the Kablan. It wasn't our discount. It was the Kablan's discount. And that got, it, that got things started. Um, there was one Kablan who was very, very upset at, uh, at someone in the yeshiva because they, they, put a, they were supposed to build three tall towers in their area. And that Kablan, uh, someone from the yeshiva, tried to ask Beit Shemesh to reject their plans to change those towers to regular quads, to regular homes. And uh, they were very obsessed. They didn't want us to market their, uh, their, their project. And for a year, they wouldn't let us touch their project. But for a year, they didn't sell even one apartment. So finally, they buckled in and they said, okay, you could sell our apartments. And within, within a few months, most of them were sold. It was, uh, it was, it was amazing. So yeah, so that was the, uh, the background of the, of the, the community. That's amazing. Um, so I, I kind of want to channel the conversation a little bit, still related on the topic of, of, of Leva Torah, but you know, what's going on in Eretz Yisrael right now um, is something that has not happened in a while. Um, and, and since you started the yeshiva, I don't think you probably had something of this you know, caliber, you know, unfortunately, happen. Um, what has it been like being the head of Leva Torah with so many alumni in the army um, since the war broke out on October 7th? This has been the heaviest period of, of my life. Um, besides having my own son who's in the army, we have uh, approximately 200 chayalim that are connected to Levatar in the army between the active soldiers, which there are over 30 of them, and the rebeim, which were there are five of them, and kolel, which is about eight or nine of them, and, um, and, and dozens and dozens of alumni, plus children of rebeim that are in the army, it's a very, very, very heavy time and a very difficult time for Am Yisrael. At the same time, it's very insp inspirational. You see these boys, and they are inspired to, to fight evil. They're inspired to, to do a Kaddish Baruch Hu's work, to be the representatives of Hashem in the world. And it's, uh, it's, not, it's not simple, but when you go to visit them on the bases, it's uh, Rav Hartstein, Rav Daniel Hartstein, so he teaches the Lishim. His, his son, in the very beginning of the war, he was up north, so he went up north to visit his son, Erev Shabbos, and he went to a few uh, bases, and he said he didn't understand. He says, it feels like Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Wherever you go, it feels like Yom Ha'atzma'ut. All the flags and the ruach and the spirit. Are we in a war? Like, what's going on here? So the, the, the soldiers are very inspired. They're very pumped up. They're, very, they're ready to give, give everything. 
just for the sake of Klai Yisrael, for the protection of, of Am Yisrael. So it's a, it's a very inspiring time, but it's very heavy to have soldiers, to have so many. Um, we had two boys who were in Lev Lechayal last year and started the year off in, in YU. Um, one of them was in Rav Shechter's year the day after you know, he found out of the war, the day after Shabbos. So he, he booked a flight and he came back to serve with his unit. These two were in Sayert Givati. They were amongst the very first soldiers that went into to Gaza. Um, they, one of them was engaged to be married and, uh, and he came anyway. Um, ultimately, he went back for his wedding and both of them left their unit right before, right before this, uh, the, one of them got married. And, uh, and, and very sadly, like right the day after they left the unit, their, their unit in Gaza went into a booby-trapped home and many of them lost their lives and some of them lost their limbs. And uh, these are boys that uh, they, they volunteered. They didn't have to come. But they said, how could we let our unit go in and us not join them? So they're back in YU right now. But, um, but uh, it was very, very inspirational to see the, the amount of motivation. So many guys came in from Chutz Laaretz to, to join the army. Many people who, you know, our guys did machal. They're not, they're not, they weren't Israeli citizens when they did the army. So many of them are not assigned to a Miluim unit. And yet they volunteered and they, they, uh, they, they wanted to join the, to join the, the, the fight. So it's very, very inspirational to see these boys who are, are, are so ideological, who are so, so motivated um, to, to be there with their comrades in arms. Um, it's, just a, it's just an incredible, incredible time. But again, very, very heavy. You also hit the base measures very hard because we lost most of our kolel. It's our kolel. It's not like a foreign kolel. And, uh, and our rebellion, you know, many of them were called up. So it, it, the sheer dalid, we had close to 20 guys in sheer dalid. Most of them were called up. So seven of them, Madrichim. Seven of them, we lost all of our Madrichim to the, to the war. And uh, now, Baruch Hashem, they're coming back. Only two of them are still, are still left. Everyone else has come back to the base Medrash. But it's been a very challenging year, and a very heavy year, and a very difficult year, but, um, but a very inspiring year. So I'm very curious to hear your, your perspective on this, that, you know, I, as I mentioned to you before we're, we're on this episode, I, I come to Levator every single week to, uh, to have a Harusa shout out to a deer. Um, and I see all these kids that come from American backgrounds, whether it's Boston, New York, LA, and, and whatnot. And a lot of these kids choose, as, as we discussed, to, to go and take the path of the army. From doing this for all the years that you have, what would you say are some of the common, whether it's struggles or things that kids from these really American backgrounds have to overcome in order to, to be able to like really integrate and get into the army world? The first challenge which is common for everyone is the language. And that's something that they cannot overcome before they do the army. And no matter how hard they try, no matter how many verbs they conjugate, they're not going to, how many Roche Tevo of the army they learned beforehand, they come into the army and it's like a, a deer in the headlights. It's like, what in the world is going on here? And so it takes them time to acculturate to the army. That's the, that's the common challenge for all of them. You have one or two guys who come from like, a, you know, Israeli homes. They, you know, their parents are Israeli, so they, they know a little bit more slang, a little more Hebrew. But, but Rubam Kikulam, it's very, very, very difficult to acculturate to the army. It's a whole new world. Um, the second thing is being American and, you know, being in an, an army misgaret. That framework is one that they're in charge of every second of your day. And it's very humbling, and especially for a kid that comes from an affluent home, you know, to be told what to do all the time. It's very, very difficult for them. It's very humbling, and it really builds their character uh, because they're not used to it. You know, these are kids that you know 
they, they come to yeshiva for the year, they go to Minyan or they don't go to Minyan in the morning. Like it's hard for them to get up in the morning because they're spoiled and, and they're used to being pampered. And then they come to the army and you got a, 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 new, a new mother and father, you know, that, and that's the army. This drill sergeant is going to work you very hard. But they, it really, really builds character. I think if they were doing it on their own, a lot of them would break. But the fact that they do it together with their friends, so there's, a, there's strength in numbers, and it really, and then they come back to the yeshiva, and we have Rebbein who visit them on the bases, and they have Shabbos together. They have a special kiddush for all the chayalim every Shabbat, and they have every 15 guys have an avanim bayit that take care of them, that speak to them. There's a psychologist assigned to the chayalim that anytime they need, they could just call up the psychologist who's also a boger of, of the yeshiva. Um, so it's, it, they, they have a real support system, but the challenges are real. The challenges are real. It is not easy culturally, it is not easy physically, and most of all, it is very difficult for them mentally. Very, very difficult. And, uh, but they overcome and they become much stronger for it. So staying on the topic of, of your students that choose to go to the army and, and having a lot of American students here in, uh, in your yeshiva, what would you say, I'm very curious to hear your perspective on the American upbringing of youth understanding the hashkafas that they have, how they come to Eretz Yisrael, and then when they end up leaving, having some kids go this path and this path, what would, what's your take, I guess you could say, on the way American Jewry, you know, in the modern Orthodox world specifically, are, are, are raising their children? It's very natural. America is a very materialistic country, and the most natural thing in the world is for people growing, on, growing up in America to be materialistic. When a kid does the army in Israel, He's basically saying, for the next year and a half of my life, I'm giving up all of my materialism. That's a very, very big thing to give up. Um, someone once asked a big rub, he says, why, did, why, did, uh, why was it necessary to have Moshe and Aaron to take Am Yisrael out of Mitzrayim? It would have been enough just to have one of them. Why, why do you need two Goalim? So he looked, he thought to himself, he says, you know, truth is, in the future, we're going to have a Mashiach ben Yosef and a Mashiach ben David. Why do you need two Mashiachim? So he says, one is to take the Jews out of Mitzrayim, and the other one to take the Mitzrayim out of the Jews. You know, it's, it's not easy to take the Golas out of the Jew. Even you see many people make Aliyah, and they're still living an American life while they're living in Israel. It's very, very hard to separate from our culture. How many people have been here for, for decades and still watch the Super Bowl? You know, like, it's, it's a part of your life. So it's a big challenge. Um, you, you see in America, Jewry going in polar directions. The modern are getting more modern, and the frum are getting frummer. And the middle, which is, which is a very common phenomenon in Israel, um, the Dati Lumi is growing and growing. In, in, in America, the, the modern Orthodox, which is not the same thing as Dati Lumi, um, is shrinking, or it's at least not growing. It's not growing. And that's because you're pulled. You have your Ruchnius, you have your Gashmius, and you have to choose. You have to choose between one. To, to link those together is very hard. Eretz Israel is a land where it's the most natural thing in the world that the, the Gashmi and the Ruchani are, are, are all one. You know, Rav Cook was known, like there's the, there's the, the Kodesh and Chol, and there's Kodesh Kadashim. Kodesh is Kodesh, Chol is Chol. When you combine the two, that's Kodesh Kadashim. That's, that's the, the highest level you can possibly reach when you're able to be Mekadesh the Chol. In Chutzlar, it's very hard to be Mekadesh the Chol. My, my, my Rebbe, Rav David Miller, so he said, you know what's the difference between Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlar? It's Chol Moed. In Eretz Yisrael, Chol Moed is more of a Moed than Chol. In Chutzlar, it's Cholamoid, is more Chol than Moed. I mean, it's very hard to have that in between, to have that, you know, I, I'm religious and I'm part of the physical, the, the material world, I'm combining them together. It's a very difficult task. So I think that's the biggest challenge is, is, is 
synthesizing the two uh, important worlds into, into one entity. I think it's very hard. Chutz La'aretz is all about, is about two, and Eretz Yisrael is all about one. It's about the, the, the union, you know, the achdus of, of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's amazing. Um, staying on the topic of kids that, that come to your yeshiva, in, a, in an honest way, I'm very curious to hear your opinion. Do you, when you see a kid that, that comes into the doors of Leva Torah, do you envision in your mind, like, this kid coming out this specific way would be a successful kid in my mind? So, it's a great question. The way you phrased it was great. This kid coming out in this specific way. Uh, for sure, Chanoch Nanal Darko is the way of Leva Torah. Um, Every single person has a very special, to, to, to paraphrase Rav Cook, every single person has a candle that's lit within him. And his job is to reveal that light to the world and to make it into a grand fire and to influence the entire world. So that, that's, that's our goal, to find the spark, to find the fire, to find the inspiration, to find the genius of every single guy and to help him develop it, bring it out, and then share it with the world. So that, that's the goal of Levatar for every single one of the Talmidim. Do we see it in every single individual? Do we try to guide them in the way that's right for them? Yes. For, to that goal, we have over 30 Rebbeim, each one of them very different. It's not a cookie-cutter place at all, so that every person can find his derech and avodah Hashem. You don't always see it when they first come in. Um, I think that that's the goal of Machanech. The goal of Machanech is to, to see that light inside and bring it out. Instead of seeing the darkness, to look for the light. Can I share a story? Absolutely. When, Podcasts are, are meant for stories. Okay, so this is, uh, so when Rav Miller, I, taught, I mentioned before that Rav Miller offered me a job as a, as a Rebbe in Levator. Many years later, he told me, he shared with me that every time that he would offer a job to a mechanic, he'd first call him into his office. You're in Shraga, you're in Shraga, you know the office I'm talking about. And on the wall of that, of that office, there's a picture of Harazesim. And Harazesim is a, is a close-up of a kever. And he asks the person that he's interviewing to look at the picture. Tell me, what do you see? So he asked me what I saw. So I say, it's like Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. I say, I see the light. It's, you know. and, and so then he offered me the job. He said, whenever I, I hire someone, if they say, I see a kever, I don't, I don't hire them. If they, see, if they say, I see Tchias Ametim, because the, the picture is one that you see the light shining off the kever or I see the light or something, then I know that he's, he's a person that's ready to be mechanech. Because when you look at your talmidim, if you don't see the light inside of them, if you don't see that potential, so then you can't be a mechanech. Only someone who sees the light um, is someone who will be able to bring out that light in his talmidim. So those are the type of, of I don't do the, uh, the Rav Miller test when I hire somebody, <laughs> but, but I, I, I guess it, in a certain sense, that's what I'm looking for. So a mechanech that could really believe in his talmidim, could really see the potential in tell me them and bring it out of them every single day. So is there ever a point where I'll say like this, do you give up on a kid or you have a kid that you work very, very hard on, you have chavrusas with him, you try to get the kid to, to, to change his habits, whatever it may be. After months and months and months of seeing a kid not necessarily progressing, is there ever a point where you're like, okay, like, like you kind of give up on the kid? You can never, ever give up on a Talmud. Every single Talmud has a neshama, he has a godliness in him, and it's our responsibility um, to bring that out. If he's failing, we have to bear some of the brunt of that responsibility because our job is to inspire him. Now, there could be a time where a student needs to leave the yeshiva because of other factors, because he's bringing other people down, because he, he, he 
passes you know, a, a red line in the yeshiva, and for the sake of the misgeri of the yeshiva, so it's important that, that he not stay. But, but that doesn't mean we give up on him. I'm, I'm even in touch with some Talmidim that we, we, we ask to leave the yeshiva and we follow up and we see how they're doing because once a Talmud, always a Talmud, sometimes even Talmidim leave not on the worst terms. They understand that, that the misgeret wasn't right for them. So, uh, so there, are, there are Talmidim. Uh, I'm thinking of one specifically that I, I went out of my way to meet with um, uh, one time. I won't say where. But, uh, and we, uh, and we, we enjoy a very good relationship until today, even though the miscarriage of the yeshiva was not exactly right for him. So I found it very, very interesting to hear your, your very dedicated Hashkafic perspective on, on Talmidim and, and everything that you've kind of discussed with me up until now. Was there a specific person that was your role model for all these years of, of, of doing what you've done um, that you want to kind of emulate a little bit of? I, I have many. There are many people in my life who, who had profound influences on my life. The, the number one is certainly Rev. David Miller, my Rebbe, um, who, you know, truly gave over Emes of Torah, gave over the, the, the Hashkaf of Torah, but, but the, the, the Neshama of Torah. And it's not only about Talmud Torah Trufa, as Rev. Lichtenstein would say, but it, it's about translating that Torah to life. Um, and Rav Miller did it in such a natural, and does it in such a natural way. His midos are something that everyone can learn from. Um, his ability to take complex situations and break them down to the most simple components and see clarity in a very unclear world is, is so profound and is so inspiring. And it's something that many times, I remember calling, uh, call, uh, calling Rav Miller once and telling him, I, I, I feel bad, but I've had so many conversations with you that you don't know about. Because <laughs> whenever I have a, a situation, I think, what would Rav Miller say about this situation? And I go into the mind of the, the endless conversations that I've had with him, and, and I come out with a result, which I think is his, and I say, I hope I didn't misrepresent you in my thought process. Rav Miller is certainly someone that, uh, that was inspired and continues to inspire me till today. His Talmidim are so vastly different from each other, and yet each one of them consider him his Rebbe. Almost like Rav Salvechik, but, but with Rav Miller, there's, there's a certain neshama there that, uh, that, just, that just stays with you forever. Uh, another one is Rav Benny Eisner. Rav Benny Eisner, my, my dedication, my commitment, my appreciation, and my, the depth of my connection to Eretz Yisrael is something that I learned, you know, Gadol Shimushayot Temeli Muda at his house. Um, and with, he, he was, you know, not just a Rebbe, but, but a person who was, was a friend, was, uh, was someone who you felt so close to. Uh, there was no distance, as they say in Hebrew, distance. You know, there's no distance between you and your Rebbe. It was so, so, so inspiring, such an in, inspiring person who his love for Eretz Yisrael was only, was only defeated by his love for every single Jew. He, he loved every single Jew so much, and you felt it. And you, so these two role models, um, I think, were, were two of the people, both of them on the BMT campus, both of them that I spent many years with and continue the relationships with uh, until, uh, and, 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 until this very day. Wow, that's amazing. Um, it, on, on, on that topic and, and kind of taking everything that we've discussed, and I'm sure there's so much more that we haven't discussed, um, looking back over the past 20, 30, and 40 years of your life and everything that you've went through, and specifically, I want to I want to highlight the last twenty years of, of starting the yeshiva and making it what it is today. Would you do anything differently, looking back through that whole process? And if so, what would that be? Wow. Okay. 
That's a great, great question. That's a great, great question. And I would probably have to sit for many, many days to, to give a proper answer to that. Would I do anything differently? I'm very happy with, with, with what we did do. I'm very happy with uh, the staff that I hired. I'm very happy with the siyata the, uh, deshmai the that we had to build a community, to build a building. And now we're building a midrashah for girls as well. Um, I'm very happy with the, the lot that the Kaddish Baruch gave me. And I don't regret anything looking back. I don't regret anything looking back. Um, I'm sure there are nuances what I could have done better and differently. I think the one thing that I, I still struggle with till, t- till today, which maybe I would do differently, is it's very hard to be an administrator and to maintain the high level of connection with, this, with the Talmidim. Uh, two years ago, I, uh, I taught a morning shear. It was the first time in many years that I taught a morning shear, and it was the best move that I ever did. And it was also the worst move I ever did. So it was like, it was the best move because I, I finally had the connection, the, the, the strong, deep, personal connection with every single Talmud. And that, over, that spilled over to other Talmudim as well. Um, but on the other hand, running the yeshiva, it's very, very hard on a day-to-day basis to give morning shir every single day and to also run a yeshiva with so many moving parts. So I think if I look back, that's probably the only thing I would try to figure out. How can I run this better um, or autopilot it as much as I can? and be much more involved with the day-to-day chinuch of the Talmudim. So on, on the topic of, of running a yeshiva, um, I think this is something that's probably very hidden to most people, especially if a kid you know even walks in the door of the yeshiva, they don't realize how many moving pieces there are to the yeshiva. But if you give a little bit of a glimpse, um, if we're able to look into that hole a little bit of, of what your job entails, of kind of what, what you have to go through, um, of, of all the things related to the yeshiva, balancing your family with a busy schedule and everything, like what, what does that look like for you? So yeshiva, running yeshiva is, is planning ahead and it's putting out fires and it's uh, doing the day-to-day, uh, day-to-day work. There are many heads in Leva Torah. So we have a head of the Kolal, a head of the Shir Dalid, a head of the Shanabet program, and within it, a head of the Leva Chayal program. And we have a head of a Shanalaf program. We have a head of, uh, of, of Tiulim. We have many, many different heads. We have one, one person in charge of the psychology in the yeshiva, the mental health of the yeshiva. We have one in charge of the dorms, the mashkiach. We have a lot of moving parts. Um, uh, beyond, that, beyond that, there are always communal needs that come up. So there are set meetings that happen all the time administratively, but then there are the meetings that come up as a reaction to what's going on. And sometimes we have to change gears in the middle. So it's always meeting with people. It's uh, having a chabur with guys. It's subbing for, for a Rebbe that doesn't come in. Um, there are a lot of things that come up. I, I think there's more different than the same, if that makes sense. There's, there's uh, less things that are by rote and more things that are dynamic. That's probably more my personality also, to be more dynamic than, uh, than pre-planned. But, um, but there also is, are the, the day-to-day needs of the physical yeshiva. We have to, we have to you know, if there's in Kemach, in Torah. So there's fundraising. There's also the building of the yeshiva. We're constantly building and growing and expanding the physical. So decisions need to be made. And, and I, I, I have a very specific taste. And I work very closely with the architects and with the engineers and with the person who's overseeing the building. And then within the building, the decisions, I know it's silly, but the decisions of what type of sinks do we have and what color are the walls. Everything that, that uh, for me, every single nuance is important. And maybe I focus too much on that sometimes, but, but it's important. The only area I don't deal with at all is the food. I have nothing to do with the food, Yeshiva. So, so looking, looking, I mean, we've discussed over the past you know, 45 minutes a lot about the past 20 years of the Yeshiva and, and kind of touching on how you're so involved in the process of everything that's 
building of the yeshiva. And you've said a few minutes ago about, you know, Midrash Alev that, that is starting next year, Bezrat Hashem. What's your vision for the next 10 or 15 or 20 years of Levat Torah, Midrash Alev, and, and kind of any new things you have in the making? I think that running an institution is like playing a game of chess. That you have to put your pieces in the right places. You have a plan, but you have to be ready to, to change your plan based on the reality outside of you. Um, so I do have a plan for Leva Torah, and I'll share it. Um, and I think that it will, it will happen. Um, I think that we're in a very, very unique uh, time of the Jewish people. Um, and every decision that I make, I keep in mind, I keep in mind the frame of where we are right now. Um, we're at a time that already big rabbanim in America are saying to their, to, to their talmidim, to their, uh, to, to their members of shul, that it's time to make aliyah, it's time to come home. Uh, the writing is on the wall. Rav Tversky um, from YU recently uh, made a statement how he told his talmidim, it's just a matter of time now. American Jewry needs to, needs to come to Eretz Israel, and if you have an opportunity, go now. I've spoken to many, many potential rebbeim of, of the yeshiva who live in America now who are looking to make aliyah. I think that the, the, we're, we're in a stage and we could decide to you know, be observers of the, of the redemption process that is unfolding before our very eyes, or we could be a part of it. And so I choose to be a part of it. The whole building of Leib L'Chayal is being a part of it. It's allowing young men a framework that will allow them to transition in the most natural and healthy way to Israeli society and, and build their lives here in Eretz Yisrael. Um, with that in mind, Midrashet Leib, Bezrat Hashem will have a program for Benot Sherut Bodedot, loan Benot Sherut, who will be able to also do the same, to transition into a life here in Eretz Yisrael by going to go through the, through the, uh, through the, the, the prism of, uh, of Sherut Lumi and seeing Israeli society through those eyes and being, being acculturate themselves, just the, not just the language, but the culture um, of, the, of, uh, of the land of Israel and build their homes here. And more and more, we see more and more people staying and doing university in Eretz Israel. And we will see men, much, much more. This will not just increase, um, you know, uh, uh, arithmetic, what, what do they say? But geometrically, but exponentially, hmm. it will increase. We, we're going to see the numbers grow. We're going to see more and more people stay. And we need to create frameworks for those people that are coming to Eretz Israel. Um, so what would not have been a possibility 20 years ago, we could not have created a Lev Lechayal 20 years ago that was not ripe, that was not ripe in Jewish history for that. Right now you're going to see that the numbers of guys doing the army of joining Lev Lechayal are going to grow from year to year. The Benot Sherut program will take off right away. I, I see it very, very clearly. And, uh, and then the question is, the sky's the limit. Uh, we have a Yeshivat Hezder, which culturally makes sense for people coming from uh, American or, or Anglo countries, um, I, I envision that we're going to have a program one day for Israeli Americans, for those that want to do Hesder, but the current Hesder programs are not exactly fit for them. And we will evolve, and we will wind up becoming more Israeli as well. You know, our Shir Dalit and Shir Hay and Kola will grow. The upper elements of the yeshiva are going to grow. That's going to bring in a stronger Shir Aleph and a stronger Shir Bet. And we'll bring in more from, from here from Eretz Israel. That's my vision uh, for the future, Bezrat Hashem. Outside of that, one of my passions is, is building communities. Um, I was Zoha to have a, a major role in building the Ramat Shiloh community. Since then, we're, we had our hand in selling 
um, with, with Rav Judah Michelle. We, we sold in the Mishkafayim many, many units. We were planning to do something there in the end. We didn't because we didn't get any land there and our plan uh, didn't, didn't happen. But um, we are planning in Neve Shamir to build a community of Ezrat Hashem here. The Lev Shamir community with Ezrat Hashem will be built and that will revolve around the Midrashah. Uh, so that's that. And then we have hundreds of alumni living here in Eretz Israel now. Hundreds. So to build communities for them and for people like them, there's a need for healthy communities in Eretz Israel. The American model of community is starting to catch on here in, in Israel where you have a rav of a kahila and life revolves around that kahila. That's, that's happening more and more. And I think we're going to see much more of that. So to create those those communities that people can build wonderful and healthy lives, I think that's, that's the next frontier. So I think it's amazing uh, what you've done and, and you know, what you plan on doing. Um, from your perspective, looking back at everything that you've done, what are you most proud of for, for, for everything that you were able to help, help create today? That's hard. It's like, telling, it's, like asking a, it's like asking a parent, okay, you have five children. Who are you most proud of? It's very hard to, to choose one over the other. Um, you can say all five if you want. <laughs> sometimes, no, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, uh, like, like, not sometimes, many times, like, what, like how, what did I do to deserve to have this incredible yeshiva that's, that's putting out and um, producing so many incredible alumni, Talmidim, who are, who are really affecting the world? So certainly the, the yeshiva is, is the, the crown jewel. But, but then sometimes... I'm walking on Shabbos afternoon in my community, and I see 200 kids from Ezra in the park. Ezra is a, uh, a youth group. It's like Vinay Kivu or Ariel, Ezra. So, so we have Ezra, in the, and, and, I, and I say, my gosh, what a healthy community. What an incredible thing. And so many people tell me that they want to move to Ramachilo, but they can't because there's nothing available. And, and, and the community, the people there, Many of them have said that when Mashiach comes, he's going to first stop at Ramachilo. We have so many different types of people living in Ramachilo. We have the, the major um, component is the Datilami community there, most of them being uh, Olim, but many of them are Israelis as well. They're Sfarim, they're Ashkenazim, they're Yeshivish, they're Hasidish people living in the community. And everybody gets along. And it's a model where the Rabbanim get together and they discuss what's good for the community. We did this in the early years of, of, of Ramachilo. And we had a, a, a chesed organization called Chastei Shiloh that provides for the needy of all the communities. So all the rabbis are speaking to their, to, to their members of their community to raise money to help the aniyim of all the communities together. So it's just a, a special, amazing community. I'm like, what's greater, the community or, or the yeshiva? I don't know. What's greater, the fact that you have hundreds of people who have built their homes here in Eretz Yisrael, and I look around the country from the north to the south, and you see these incredible families raising their children here in Eretz Yisrael. It's an amazing thing. On the other hand, I look also, I go to America, and I see the incredible alumni there. And, and there are wonderful, incredible, um, um, inspiring, inspiring uh, alumni who are leaders of their communities. Some of them have built shuls or are presidents of their shuls, Others have, others have become big philanthropists. Others, others excuse me, mechanchim, the rebbeim and yeshivas or communities. Um, it's incredible. It's, so I, I look, I, I don't know, is it, is it the, the institution? Is it what the institution has produced? Is it the community? Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm equally proud of all of them and, and trying to, Bezat Hashem, continue to invest in each and every one of, of the initiatives that we've started. 
Um, I also want to add, it's not just me. I mean, they're, they're, Rav Benji Kualwasser was a partner of mine to build the yeshiva. Um, he has a, an incredible impact on, on the alumni, on the, on the Leila Chayal program. Rav Dudi Winkler, who runs the Leila Chayal program, is doing miracles, really miracles. He's done things unprecedented until now. And, and the Rebbeim in the yeshiva, Rav Natana Leibowitz, who was a mashkiach in the yeshiva and, and head of our program for 21 years, his connection to the Talmudim, to the alumni, continues till today. I mean, the, the, the amount of couples that he's spoken to to help them through difficult times. I mean, the, the, the yeshiva's produced so many, um, so many rabbeim who have such a profound impact. And, and, and just what they've been able to do for Kalah Yisrael is, is incredible. So to have a frame to, to raise a generation of rabbeim who are so impactful and so inspirational has also been a great schuss. So there's, there's just so many different areas. I, I couldn't really pick one and say, this is one, one over the other. Super valid, by the way, and totally okay. Um, I, I kind of want to end off with, with one question to phrase to you like this, that through all the years of having so many Talmudim and, and interacting with so many people through the process of building up everything that you've done, if there was called a message in a bottle that you said, take this message and I'm going to give it to you for the rest of your life about anything specifically, specific, you know, specifically for your alumni, what would that what would that be um, for them? I was speaking to Rev. Judy and Michelle about this once, and and we, we both agreed that we have this secret that like it's not really a secret, but no one seems to know it. There is nothing in your life you cannot accomplish. You just have to believe in yourself. And as Rav Miller told me many years ago, if you put Mesiris Nefesh into something, you'll see Siata Deshmaya. That's the message. Anything you want to accomplish in life, you can do. Any single thing. You just need to be Moser Nefesh and you will see the Siata Deshmaya. Wow, that was <laughs> pretty simple and pretty self-explanatory. Um, I think... We're, we've kind of hit our mark in terms of, of, of the topics that I want to discuss and also our time. And, and, and as I started off this episode with Akar Satov, I just want to thank you again for, uh, for taking the time. I know you're super, super busy. And, and as people have realized through this episode, you have a lot going on, Baruch Hashem. So just thank you again so much for taking the time to, uh, to sit down and have this conversation with me. And uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully doing this again soon. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much for opening up your home. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu give you siyata deshmaya to be able to accomplish all the things that you want to accomplish in your life. Amen. Thank you so much. That is a wrap of today's episode and conversation with Reboaz Mori. I just want to say after I shut the cameras off from the episode, Reboaz and I hung out for a while and got to speak about so many other topics. And I just, I have so much more respect for him after sitting down and hearing what he's been able to accomplish up until this point in his life. And God willing to see what he's going to do in the future, being the visionary that he is. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you liked what you watched or saw or listened to wherever, whatever platform you're on right now, feel free to give us a like, a comment, subscribe, and I hope you guys enjoyed. We'll see you guys in the next episode.